We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, before you start looking it up, let's hold them up. That looks beautiful. This is God's Word for me today. We're going to be in 1 Samuel for the most part this morning with a venture off a few other scriptures, but 1 Samuel chapter 17. And, and one of the things about me, um, you, some of you probably know, some of you probably don't, is I, I love David. I love David is one of my favorite, probably my favorite uh, character uh, person in the Bible. I hate to say character because it makes him seem unreal. Uh, he's my favorite person in the Bible. Um, there's so many facets about David that, that just whew, are awesome. Um, and this sermon is a little different than, than what one I would normally talk about with David, but we're going to be talking about the, the five stones that David picked up in the creek on that day. Now, I, I've, since I was little, I've loved to go to the creek. I've loved to pick up rocks and loved to catch crawdads. And, you know, I used to take Josh and Kinsey fishing down Wildcat. Well, I'd take them down there to go fishing. All they wanted to do was catch crawdads. Uh, you know, fishing has never been one of Josh's favorite things anyway. Um, I think he'd have been happier with a pole with no hook on it. He'd spend less time caught up in the trees. I would spend less time with him caught up in the trees. But anyway, um, but you, there's always lots of cool rocks. Every time we go somewhere, it seems like, uh, on vacation or whatever, we, we pick up a few rocks. Went down to Arkansas. Uh, last time I was down there, we went to the creek. What do we do? We pick up rocks. They're, so, they're, they're neat. They're cool. The water rushing over them, you know, it, it, it makes them smooth and almost like uh, uh, polishes them up. Uh, I'm just going to be totally honest with you this morning. I don't know why David picked up five stones in the creek. But we're going to make some references to five stones this morning. I'm not saying, here's the gospel. That's why those stones were all about. I'm just saying, hey, we're going to go there this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 38 through 40. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a goat of, of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff, and he traded in a whole suit of armor for a shepherd's staff in his hand, and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Lord, God, thank you that we have assurance in you that even when we face the biggest giant, we just need you. God, help us today to discover the power that we have in you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I just think how awesome that is that David recognized that all the stuff that, that the world thought was our, would be a protection, that the world thought would be the thing, his salvation, David puts that stuff on and he says, this isn't what I need. This don't work. This don't fit me. This isn't mine. This isn't the power that, that I have. So he takes all that off, and you would think, man, he's going to look around for a sword that fits his hand, you know, and, 
and he's going he's to find the perfect set of armor. But he didn't even go looking for any of that. He grabbed his staff, and he went to the creek, and he grabbed five smooth stones, and he had his trusty slingshot, <laughs> and then he approached his giant. Stripped of everything the world would think would be your protection. And all he had was faith that what he had was enough. And so he approached his giant. Now, he's foolish, isn't he? He's silly, isn't he? He doesn't have a chance and he don't even have a clue, does he? What he had is something that the world can't give us. The world can't teach us. Even the church can't teach us. What he had was a faith in a God who he knew. You see, I don't believe David could have done that hoping that he knew who God was. Hoping that God was God who he had heard about hoping that all the teaching that he had had since a child about God was the truth. He could do that because he knew God. And he knew that his God was going to take care of this. That his God was going to be the deliverer. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 10 and 11 say this, And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So just before David shows up on the scene, the Philistine, this is what really is interesting about this story. Had the Philistine shut his mouth and went away and the whole army of the Philistines came against him, I believe the Israelites would have stood up and they would have ran to war. They weren't afraid of the army of the Philistines. Never once does it say they were afraid of the Philistines. They were afraid of this great army. They were afraid. No, it was one giant. Sometimes, haven't you just felt like you could take on the world? Man, I can do this, God, and I, we got, and then one little thing rears its head, and it's just like, boom, knocks us back. Well, God, I could have handled all this, but this one thing here I can't defeat. The whole, it, it says, if you read the scripture, the whole, it even says the army was shaking in fear. The army of Israel, the great army that had done so many exploits, that had defeated so many armies so much bigger than them, when the giant, the one giant came out and began to shout at them, they began to shake in fear. They were all afraid. Even the great king, it says, was in fear. Have you ever felt that way? Come on, be honest with yourself. Something reared its ugly head you didn't expect. You expected the army to come at you, but you didn't expect this. And now all of a sudden the game has changed and something's different and now I'm, whew, 
whew, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm scared. But I like David's answer when he shows up. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who David's attitude was, who does he think he is? We serve God. We are the army of the living God. So what is your Goliath this morning? See, as we think about David, he's a representation of us as believers, followers of God, followers of Jesus Christ, and, and yet we all have giants that we face. Maybe you look out into the world and you see an obstacle that you face that you don't understand or you don't know how to deal with. Maybe it's a, a, a boss at work. Maybe it's a bill from out of nowhere. Maybe it's something you didn't see coming last week and here it is today. Maybe it's the pressure, pressure that we see today in our, in our society uh, with with all the media and all those things pushing down our throats that we should accept the things of the world. And you don't know what to do. You don't know how to respond. You don't know how to act. Maybe just life has got you down. Maybe the struggles you're facing today, you're just wondering, how am I going to make it through this? Maybe that's your giant this morning. Maybe you've got kids that are straying away from the Lord or doing things you know they had not to be doing, and maybe that's the giant you face today. Maybe, maybe you don't feel like you're worth anything today. Talked a little bit in Sunday school about how the world would try to put you and make you feel worthless. Make you feel you're not valuable. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you feel like, what value do I have to anybody? Maybe that's your giant this morning. I believe that God is here and He wants to speak to you about those things. Some of the times we delay dealing with those things. I'm a... I'm a... Uh, one that hates conflict. Some people thrive on it. I hate it. And most of the time, if I'm not careful, I would just, you know, be the ostrich, burying my head in the sand, thinking maybe it'll all go away. Usually, it doesn't. <laughs> so you have to deal with life. You see, the Israelites... We're in this position for 40 days. This, this Goliath kept standing out there for 40 days, screaming at them and scaring them to death. Why did they allow that? Because they forgot who the God was that they served. It's easy for us to judge them looking from our end, right? Because we can say, well, what is wrong with you pathetic people? 
Did you not get delivered from the Egyptians? Did you not do this? And did you not do that? Did God not deliver all these different armies into your hand? And we can look at that and we can think how silly they were for being afraid of one giant. And then we look sometimes look at our own life and we think, ooh, ouch, that hurt. Because I let this issue back me up. I let this issue keep me from doing what I knew I should have done until finally I did it and realized, why didn't I just trust God sooner? Or something to that effect. The bigger that your God gets, the smaller your problem gets. So the question I want you to ask yourself this morning is, how big is my God? How big is my God? There was a story about a man who took his son to the doctor because he swallowed their house key. The doctor asked, when did this happen? The man answered, about three months ago. The doctor said, why are you finally bringing him in now? And the man says, because we lost our duplicate key. Sometimes we don't deal with things until we've waited almost too long. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning about five weapons represented by the five stones, and again, that's an interpretation, <laughs> okay? One of the things we need to understand that these weapons are not, they are not the types of things that the world would think would be our salvation. They're not the things that the world would try to tell us, well, if you just do this, it'll be okay. You see, because the Bible teaches us that the weapons of our warfare are spiritual. We fight a spiritual battle on a daily basis. And we need to recognize that in that spiritual battle, carnal weapons will not work. We can take up the sword and the spear all day long, but when the enemy is coming to attack at you in the spiritual realm, you've got to have spiritual weapons. And so... We have ways to defeat the enemy. One of the first things I want to talk about this morning, and this is one of the most awesome ones I believe we can talk about, is the name of Jesus. As we were worshiping this morning, the name of Jesus just kept coming out. And, and, and I, I begin to think, in today's society, how many times do you hear the name of Jesus? Unfortunately, we hear it a lot. But it's not in the way that we need to hear it. It's in a swear word. It's used derogatory. It's used in a sickening way. I'm telling you what, we need to use the name of Jesus. We need to pray the name of Jesus. We need to sing the name of Jesus over people. Jesus. 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 The name of Jesus. Is the name above every name. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. 
His name has all authority. <laughs> One of these days, the Bible teaches us that every knee will bow. Every person that has defamed the name of Jesus will bow. Every religious leader that has failed to proclaim the name of Jesus will bow. Every religion that comes against the name of Jesus will bow. Every Christian will gladly bow at the name of Jesus. All authority is in the name of Jesus. You see, as we look throughout the New Testament, whenever there was a miracle, it took place through the person or in the name of Jesus. I remember thinking about when James and John went to the temple that morning. After Jesus' death and resurrection, after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and they, they walked past the temple, and all of a sudden, on that day, this man who every day, if you read the Scripture, every day this man was set there at the gate. And these two men were faithful to the temple. So we know that they saw him every day. And maybe most days, or maybe a lot of days, maybe some days, they threw in a coin or two to help this man out. But on this day, as they were walking by, they saw something different in that man. Instead of seeing a man that was a beggar that had no hope and that had, there was nothing that could be done for him except for throw in a couple of coins, they saw a man who could be healed but not in their power. Because when he asked of them, they said, what can we do for you? <laughs> but then they said, silver and gold we aren't going to give you today. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, the apostles didn't claim to have power in themselves. It was always in the name of Jesus. They made sure that they, people recognized that it wasn't them. Remember when Paul was shipwrecked and he went to this island and, and, and he reached in and the serpent grabbed a hold of him and bit him and they thought he was going to fall over dead and he didn't and they wanted to praise him as a god. He said, oh no, it's not me. That's the God. It's at the, the name of Jesus. He has authority. He has power. We're saved through the name of Jesus. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no other way than Jesus. Another stone that we can look at this morning is the Word of God. You see, I find it so compelling for us in our lives as humans to look at what Jesus did when confronted with temptation, when confronted with the enemy. Because being in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and fasting and, and being all that, and then when the devil tempts him, Jesus comes back to him with the Word of God. 
And I think of myself, if Jesus felt it necessary to speak the Word of God in a time of temptation, how much more should I be able to speak the Word of God in my time of temptation? In my time of need, how much more is it important for me to be able to speak the name or the Word of God? To do that, I have to know a little bit of it, don't I? I'm not saying you have to memorize, you know, memorize this thing front and back, chapter, line, verse. I, I hope I'm not saying that because I'd be in trouble. But we need to be in the Word and begin to allow that Word to get into us. So that in those moments, maybe you're at work or maybe you're alongside the road or maybe you're in somebody's house and you need that Word to come out of you. It's got to be in you, right? For you to be able to speak that Word, you need to have that Word in you. And as we go through life, there are many times we just need to remember what the Scripture tells us. Because maybe we're in the middle of a battle and we need to remember that God says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Maybe we need to remember, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Maybe we need to remember, God says, it's not my will that any should perish, but all come to everlasting life. We need to allow that Word of God to, to be alive in us so that we can speak that Word out, so that we can stand on it, so we can trust in that Word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this about the Word. It says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of of the heart. Living and active. Think about that for a minute. You see, we, we pick up the Bible sometimes like we pick up any other book. Just words on a page, right? We need to realize that this book is more than words on a page. Whatever, whatever form you have and whatever translation you read, you need to realize this is living and active. And it becomes living and active when we allow it to in our lives. When we take these scriptures as the truth of the Word of God, they become living and active in our lives. When we begin to pray these words and stand on these words, they become living and active in our lives. See, that's what the Word of God is to us. It's life to our human lives. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. He says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You see, this temporal home that we live in, earth, it's going to be destroyed someday. But this Word will never pass away. His Word will never pass away. Third thing I want to talk about this morning is the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus left, He said, it's good for you that I leave. It's good for you. You know, the disciples were all like, Oh, Jesus, don't go. Don't leave us. 
We need you here. We want you to stay. And Jesus says, I'm going to just tell you something, guys. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit's not coming. And it's better for you that I leave and the Holy Spirit be here with you. He will be with you always, in every circumstance, in every situation. He will be on, with you in the boat when I'm not with you in the boat. He will be with each one of you in the boat when I could only be over here in the boat. He didn't say all that. <laughs> Go figure. Preacher, putting words in Jesus' mouth. But what he was saying here is it's better for you that I leave because the Holy Spirit will be with all of you all the time. The Holy Spirit will be there knocking on your heart in the middle of the night to wake you up to pray for somebody. Say, thank you, Jesus, I didn't need sleep tonight anyway. But somebody needed your prayers. Somebody needed you to cry out for them in that moment. The Holy Spirit will be there with you in, in times of crisis to give you strength. The Holy Spirit will be there with you in times of decision to give you wisdom. The Holy Spirit will be with you in, on a constant basis. And our part is we need to listen to Him and to respond to Him. As the Holy Spirit tells us to charge, we need to charge. Not with a credit card. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit... <laughs> Pastor, come on now. When, when the Holy Spirit tells us to go into battle, we need to go into battle. When the Holy Spirit says, hold on a minute, we've got we to gotta make a plan. We need to step back and work on a plan. See, the Holy Spirit knows when we need to do what we need to do. You look throughout, you look throughout the Bible and the different ways God did different things. It's just amazing, isn't it? The different ways God chose to fight battles is so awesome, but what it tells us is we can't use our human wisdom in how to go about life. We need to let the Holy Spirit speak in us and through us so that when we know when the right time is, we know when to open our mouths, we know when to keep our mouths shut, we know when to step into the fight, and we need to know how to step into the fight. We need to know. And the only way we're going to know is if we allow the Holy Spirit to have an active role in our life. And when we do that, if it, you know when you've stepped out of that and you've done it on your own. It don't work out so good, does it? And you know in those moments and those times when you've actually listened to the Holy Spirit and you've actually done what, what you knew you should do, the, how much better it is. And there's that constant battle in our life between the flesh and the Spirit because the flesh, it still wants to do it our way. It still wants to solve problems our way. But the Holy Spirit know, knows all things. And if we will listen to this great gift that Jesus sent us, if we will allow Him to fill us and to lead us, and to guide us, we will be able to overcome those giants in our life. The Holy Spirit indwells in us, lives with us, wants to fill us to overflowing with the new nature of Christ. 
the Holy Spirit, you, you, you want to pick up the Word of God and you want to say, oh, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Let the Holy Spirit give you wisdom. Let the Holy Spirit lead you through that. I've said this a lot of times, and I firmly believe this. I don't believe God is telling you to get saved, pick up the Bible, read through it as fast as you can. I'll be honest with you, that's probably the wrong thing. Pretty sure it's the wrong thing. What I believe is God wants us to pick it up and to begin to chew on it. Begin to devour it. And if you get stuck in the same chapter for a month, devouring it, let the Holy Spirit help you chew that up and swallow it and get the good nutrition out of it. We're not in to see it. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's good to read through the Bible. I'm not saying it's not, but what I'm saying is go through it to where you can actually get what it's speaking into your life. And to do that, you're going to need to ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you, to illuminate His Word. To let God work in you and through you through the power of the Holy Spirit in, in that. The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. Has anybody in here ever sinned? Wait a minute, don't raise your hands. If you're a Christian and you sin, the Holy Spirit says, Oh, wait a minute. Isn't that awesome? Don't you want that? How sad it would be if we didn't get that. And He just let us go. Well, that one's gone. Oh, you sinned today. Well, you're gone. Count him off, right here, take his name out. Or do we want the Holy Spirit to say, hey, listen, we got a problem. Houston, we have a problem. Let's fix it. Let's take care of this thing. The Holy Spirit will convict us and help us to do what God is asking us to do. He will give us the power that we need to obey God's call in our life and God's commands in our life. Another thing I want to talk about this morning is the blood. There's power in the blood. Wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. I believe this morning in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us. The Bible teaches us without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. The blood of Jesus cancels out our sin when we accept that. Now I'll say this, the blood of Jesus does not cancel out our sin if we don't repent of it. If we don't bring it to Him. It's just not everybody in the world is forgiven because Jesus died so everybody's going to heaven. Now if that were the gospel, how sad that would be. But the gospel teaches us that the blood of Jesus was shed for the remission of our sins as we bring them to Him and repent of them. As we come to Him and seek Him and seek His forgiveness, He gives that forgiveness. You see, if we remember back in the Old Testament when the plagues and, and when, when uh, Moses went into Pharaoh, you know, let my people go, and Pharaoh said he would, and then he didn't, and then a plague, and then he said he would, and he didn't, and then another plague. And it all culminated with the death angel. 
And the blood on the doorpost of the Israelites caused the death angel to pass over. A symbol of what was to come. That when the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to our life, the spiritual death angel will pass over and we will have life. The blood of Jesus. The last stone or the last weapon or the last whatever you want to call it this morning that we want to look at is prayer. Romans chapter 15 verse 30 says this, I appeal to you brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So here Paul says, listen, I need some help. I need you to pray with me. I need you to seek God for me. Prayer throughout, throughout the, the Bible, throughout the New Testament is so important. Again, the, let's, let's look to the example of Jesus. Oft times he would get away and pray. And if Jesus needed to get away and pray, how much more does this simple man need to find time in his life to pray? Well, I get bored. I fall asleep. I can't think of anything to pray about. Come on, make a list. Wednesday nights, we make a list when we pray. It's okay to make a list. It's okay to peek up and say, oh yeah. Come on. Pray. Take some time to get to have a communion with the Father, not just asking for things, although He tells us to bring our petitions to Him. Spend some time in a communication. When you communicate with somebody, you both talk and listen. Talk. And listen, sometimes it's... Oh, wait a minute. Talk? Don't you feel like most of your prayer time is spent talking? Don't, doesn't it just drive you crazy when you're with somebody and you can't get a word in edgewise because they don't stop talking? I mean, come on! How do you think God feels in our prayer time sometimes? Well, God says to ask of it. Yeah, He does. I, I, he does. He wants you to. But He also wants to talk. Spend some time with him, hanging out with him, taking fishing, not on Sunday mornings, because he'd much rather you be spending time here with us. I firmly believe that, and that get me in trouble saying that, because if you look at the internet, it doesn't say it that way. But anyway, that's uh, here or there. Spend some time with him, get alone with him. Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Come on now. Prayed so hard, sweat like great drops of blood. And I'm not going to get into whether that was real blood. You've got all, people all over. All I'm saying is we see a man in intense prayer. When's the last time a pastor has done that? Come on, you can point the finger at me. Intense prayer. I'm not saying you have to do that every night, every day. I'm just saying once in a while you just need to pray in that way. R.A. Torrey says this, 
There have been revivals without much preaching. I've been in some awesome services where the preacher didn't get to preach. But there has never been a mighty revival without mighty praying. Where does it start? Does it, it starts with prayer. You want to see something happen in this church? Pray. Pray for your pastor, yeah. But just pray that we would all be receptive to a mighty move of the Holy Spirit. Let's pick up those five stones. Let's pick them up and and, and whether they're representative, I'm, but think of those this morning. And realize that if we have the weapons that God provides, David knocked down Goliath with a stone. The power we have this morning available to us if we get our mind off of the things of the world and on to the things of God. Bow your heads with me, if you will, please. Remember these things. The name of Jesus, the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus, and effectual, fervent prayer. I want you to know this morning that in those things, there is the power to overcome the enemy. I don't know what you may be facing, what you may have faced last week, and what you may have brought in here with you this morning. But what I do know is there is power to overcome. Lord, this morning I pray that you would help us to realize that no matter how desperate we feel, we can have victory. And no matter what we might be facing tomorrow or even today when we leave this place, you are faithful. Great is your faithfulness, God. You will never let go. And I pray that we will take with us today the power that we have in you. May even if we remember those five stones, we don't even have to necessarily remember all the points, but remember in those five stones we have the power to overcome. Lord, may we go out of this place overcomers in you. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name. God bless you.